With Exodus chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. <laughs> they will say, They will not. See, Moses understood people. And he understood people in pain. You know what? Sometimes people in pain aren't logical and they don't listen. And remember all the sufferings these people were going through. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And now here is one of the most famous statements ever made to Moses. This is a wow. What is in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. And the Lord said, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Wow. What is in your hand? God will use what is in your hand to validate you. Wow. Here's the truth. God will use what you already have to validate you. Now, now that's the truth many people don't get a hold of. They think, if I do this, it will validate me. If I do that, it will validate me. No, what's in your hand? What has God already given you? Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, the hand was leprous like snow. And then he said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. He said, if they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter. So, okay, hearts make own choices. Now, notice what God said. They may believe the latter sign. You, know, you have to understand, God doesn't force things on people. Okay? The human heart was created to be self-determining, freedom of will, freedom of choice. And God says, you know what? They've got choices to make. If they will not believe in even these two signs and listen to your voice, he said, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile shall become blood on dry ground. All right, so he has three, three signs. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. He said, hey, there's, there's been no ability to speak given to me here, okay, in the past or sense. Now, you have to understand why he would say that. Because when God calls you, there's an anointing to do what he's asked you to do. That anointing brings ability. He said, I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord, so here is a man not gifted in speech. He said, I, I, I get that. I get that. The Lord said, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? 
Now, therefore, go. I will be your mouth and teach you what to speak. Wow, the promise. But he said, oh, Lord, please send someone else. Oh, my. Here's failure. Here's failure. Please send someone else. Now, with a promise like this, so no faith. No faith in the promise. No faith in the promise. You know, brothers and sisters, you're going to have to understand Moses and all these great men of God in the Bible that did amazing things. They're no different than me and you. And I don't say that in any way to put them down. I say that for you to understand. They were men of flesh and blood like us, and they screwed up just like us. Now, here's a big screw up. He would not put his faith in the promise. God promised, I will be your mouth and I will teach you what to speak. He said, Moses, I know you don't know what to say and I know you're not good at talking. And he said, I'm going to take care of both of that. Moses' failure, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God got angry. Now, he didn't get angry at the questions of how to make this work. He got angry when Moses refused to believe that God could give him the ability. And now, now, please, God got angry not at the how-tos. God got angry at the refusal to believe in his ability to give Moses ability. That, that's what he got angry about. He said, is not there Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, I know God knows. Please don't ever think that God doesn't know. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. Well, I will speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak to you for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife, his sons, and had them ride on a donkey, and they went back to the land of Egypt. And notice did not leave the family. Did not leave the family behind. Took the family with him. Now, I, I say that because I watch some, watch some people today say, I'm called of God to the ministry and I'm going to leave my family to serve God. Eh, no, you don't do that. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, 
See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Sephora took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness. Now, would you look at that? The covenant sign. Moses didn't practice the covenant sign. Now, obviously, he knew it because he'd been taught by his mother. He was circumcised, but he didn't circumcise his sons. Sign of the covenant. Passing on to the next generation the covenant. Now, beloved, we, we don't circumcise our children for the sign of the covenant today. But we do need to pass on to our children the covenant. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Aaron, then Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he sent him to speak and all the signs he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in, front, in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed their heads and worshipped. God cares. Response. How do people respond to the fact that God cares? You bow and worship. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews have met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you may make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose upon them, and you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. All right, so the world sees worship as laziness. That's how the world looks at worship. That's how the world looks at serving God. As laziness. He said, they're idle. That is the world's view of spirituality. It's amazing. Let, the he let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. All right, so <laughs> not these words are not lying words, but the Again, the attitude of the world make these people so tired they don't have time to listen. 
So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work shall not be reduced in the least. So the people scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks by making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw was given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. <laughs> Again, the world's attitude toward worship. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw they were in trouble when they said, we, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. Then they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out to Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh, his servants, and have put their sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and has not delivered them at all. Now here's a principle. Sometimes, things get worse before better. And that's just life. But there's also some things that you need to see up here. Notice, as long as they were given straw, people could get their work done. It is not wrong to expect daily quotas. I mean, if you are a businessman, you can't pay a person just to sit around and do nothing. You know, one of the things about, you know, running workers, especially in construction, is if you don't give them requirements of how much to get done, they will make a job last as long as they can make it last because they're getting paid by the day. So, you know, it's not wrong to put quotas of work on people, but look at, what, look at what Pharaoh did. He then made it impossible to meet those quotas. Make sure that people have what they need in order to get their jobs done. Okay, if you're a boss, if you own a company, it's not wrong to say, all right, you're not being Pharaoh because you say, all right, this is what I need done every day. If you're going to get paid this amount of money, then you have to produce this amount of work. That's not wrong, but make sure that they have the tools to get the work done. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. All right, so I appeared as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, in which they, they, they lived as sojourners. So God says, all right, there were Theophanies. And he said there was revelation of, of character. This is who I am, God Almighty. And he said there was covenant. Moreover, I heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. 
So therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. Now notice here's a new, this is, this is the revelation today. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into a land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, to give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Why? Why people don't listen? Broken spirit, harsh slavery. Let me talk to some of the pastors and leaders today right now that are listening. You know, you come along and you give the people words of hope, but they're not listening. You give people words of hope and words of direction, but people aren't listening because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. See, one of the things you have to learn about human nature is that in hard times, people prefer to listen to hard words. When people's spirits are broken, when people have been through harsh slavery, the the slavery of sin has broken their lives. People who have been under the bondage of sin, Christians who have gotten back into sin, you know how Romans talks about, you know, whatever you yield yourself that you become a slave. When people get back under the power of sin, man, that's harsh slavery. When people's spirits are broken by the problems of life, they don't listen to good words. They don't listen to words of hope. They prefer to listen to condemnation and judgment and meanness because that's what they think they deserve. Pastors, the only thing I can tell you in these days, double down on words of hope. Double down on words of hope. Words of hope, words of life, they're eventually, just like with people, the people of Israel, they're eventually going to penetrate. But because of their broken spirit and because they got themselves off into sin and now they're, they're bondage to sin again and that sin has been harsh on them, they, they want to hear the nasty. They, they want to hear hell, fire, and brimstone. They want to hear condemnations. They want to hear, I don't know what it is about guilt, but you know, people who are living under guilt, they, they, it's like, beat me one more time. I want, I want to get beaten because of guilt. Brothers and sisters, this, their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So they can't hear words of hope. They don't want to hear words of hope because it doesn't match their life. Let me say that again. It doesn't match their life. Pastors, leaders, please, I beg of you. In these days we're living in, I know there are Christians that in the privacy of their homes, they, they got into a mess, all right? Maybe they got into gambling online and, you know, please, I'm a pastor. I just have to deal with these realities. People have gotten into gambling online. They've gotten into pornography online. They've lost what little money they had. Young people have gotten into to witchcraft and nastiness and their, their gaming. Yeah, they've gotten under harsh slavery. And life is hard right now. I mean, lockdown for this long breaks the spirit. This is why we have to keep doubling down. 
This is why we have to keep preaching as Jesus did the year of God's favor. It's hard for people because of their guilt. It's hard for people because of the hard times. They don't want to listen, but we keep preaching it anyway in Jesus' name. Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, verse 11, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, and gave him a charge about the people of Israel and about the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Gave a charge. Gave commands. You know, it doesn't matter whether people listen to us or not. We have some commands God has given to us. And we need to just keep leading the people toward the promised land. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Yeah. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up with Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, came up to him with her two sons and kneeling before him. All right. So she asked him for something. All right. So she shows respect and she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said, say, because she knows that Jesus will keep his words, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. So here we have a mother's ambition. She wants him to guarantee a position for her sons. She says, I want you to say this. I want you to guarantee to me, Jesus, I'm the mama. Guarantee me, to me, that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your kingdom. She said, I want a guaranteed position for my sons. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. All right, so he didn't get mad at her. Okay, he just, you don't understand. All right, so she, she's asking without understanding principles of the kingdom. Okay, he said, he's not mad at her. He said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Now he's speaking this to the boys. They, the boys. The boys said, we are able. I said, fine. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. This comes back to this you don't understand. But it is for those to whom it has been prepared by the Father. So the Father chooses the destiny. He said, it's not mine to grant this. But now I want you to notice, he asked, sacrifice. Are you going to drink? The, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you, can you live the life? Can you go through what I'm going to go through? Can you suffer like I'm going to suffer? Can you make the sacrifice? We're able. <laughs> he said, okay, it's going to happen. But he said, but, and there's the big but. I can't give you these positions. I can't guarantee this. There is a will of God. Sacrifice does not guarantee a position. The will of God determines position in life. Now, let me just apply this in a few things here. First of all, parents, you, you cannot come to God and say, all right, I'll give my God to follow Jesus. I'll give my son to follow Jesus. I'll give my daughter to follow Jesus. I'll give them to God. You, you cannot then say, okay, but God, this is what you're going to do with them. You know, I've had parents look at me in life and say, Pastor Summerall, can you guarantee? I said, I can't guarantee anything. I said, you know, that's, that's not how we live our life. There are things that God chooses. And I said, even if they live the life, even if they drink the cup, even if they live the life, the position is chosen by the plan of God. Secondly, I want you to notice, these young men said that they were going to do the sacrifice. So Jesus said, all right, you will. But he says, that doesn't mean that you're going to get the position. You know, you're going to have to understand that when you, you, you open your mouth 
sometimes you pay the price that you never needed to pay. And I guess the question that I would ask in this whole situation that we won't know the answer of till we get to heaven is how would their lives have been different? How much suffering, how much less suffering would have been in their life if they have not said the things that they said, yes, we can drink the cup. You know, they might have had a very different life and still fulfilled the plan of God for their lives. Hmm. <laughs> Something to think about, okay? Now, the next thing I want you to notice, when the 10 heard it, and they always will, they were indignant at the two brothers. Why? This is selfish ambition. Now, wherever you find selfish ambition, you always find strife. Whenever you find people trying to push themselves forward, rather than allow God to bring them to a position, they, they want to push themselves forward. They're feeling competitive. Wherever you find that, you always find strife. The other 10 were upset about it. You know, these guys are pushing themselves forward. The other 10 got upset about it. You know, even as a pastor, sometimes there are people on staff that are very, have a lot of selfish ambition. And it's amazing when they're gone, there's no more strife. It's amazing. And Jesus called them to him and said, called them. Now he's referring to all 12. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, he said, you know, you guys live with these Roman rulers all the time. This is how we live our life. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Now notice, among you. Now here, here's a key that you got to get a hold of. This doesn't work in the world. It only works among leadership. He's talking to the 12. He said, you know, you want to see who's, who's going to be the leader? You've got to be the slave of all. For even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, pastors, this, this is what we have been called to do. One, to serve. Number two, give our life. Now, let me just apply that, pastors, for a minute, especially Christian leaders and pastors. You're listening to me today. We live in a world where everybody says, promote yourself and do this and do that and put all this down and da-da-da-da. The world tells you, you know, that the pastors, like all leaders, must have a certain image and a certain aura and they must act a certain way and they must do this and they must do that. And you know, I, I had a, a person sit me down. They attended our church. They were from another country. And um, even though they were Asian, they, they said this to me. And they, that surprised me because sometimes you hear this from Westerners. But this Asian friend talked to me. He said, you know, Pastor Sumrall, you, you really, you're never going to have a great work for God until you learn how to carry yourself differently. I said, well, how do you want me to carry myself? They said, you know, you have to have a presence about you where where people 
get out of your way and you have to, you know, people open doors for you and you should have a sword bearer. And I never had figured out what a sword bearer is. Okay. That somebody to carry your Bible. And when you walk off the platform, there should be someone who, who hands you a, a glass of orange juice. And there should be someone who, who hands you a towel to wipe your face and to wash your hands. And all of these people should serve you. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not going to live like that. It's just not going to happen. There's no way in the universe that I'm going to live like that. I said, what you see is what you get. And I said, for me and my house, we want to walk among the people and be a servant to the people. I said, I don't mind holding the door open for church members. I don't mind letting the church members go first. I don't mind waiting my turn in the line. I said, I, I don't need somebody to carry my briefcase. I said, now there may come a day when I'm getting old that, that I'll need somebody to help me with a few things. But I said, now is not the time. And they looked at me and said, you'll never be great. You don't know how to carry yourself properly. Yes, I do. You carry yourself as a servant. And you give your life for the people. You give your life for the people. That is what Christian leadership is all about. It's not about using the people to attain your goals. It's about giving your life to bring the people to their goals. Ah. As they went out of Jericho, now notice Jericho, remember in your mind where that is. It is right at the base of the mountain going up to Jerusalem. And then you go the other direction and you'll want straight into the Dead Sea. So this is where they're at. And a great crowd followed him. I like that. A great crowd followed Jesus. This is beautiful. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside now. You know, you have to understand this is the primary route and the only route up the mountain to Jerusalem from that area. So this is where everybody passed by. That's why Jericho became such a prominent city. Everybody passed by there. And it's a long walk up that mountain. So people would stop and spend the night in Jericho. People would buy supplies in Jericho. Okay. So there's two blind men there. Travelers are going up to Jerusalem. It's a good place to beg. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, they'd heard about Jesus. Now, the one thing about sitting by the roadside begging is you hear everybody who walks by. You, your, your heightened sense of hearing is because you cannot see and you, you're listening to everybody. I wonder how many miracles did they hear about as people walked by? As people came by talking about Jesus and healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blind eyes, healing the leper, healing the lame. You just wonder how many miracles they'd heard about. So they cried out, have mercy on us, son of David. The prayer for mercy. One of my favorite sermons to preach, the prayer for mercy. <laughs> I heard a, a pastor say recently, he said, you know, the only people that preach about mercy and the only people that preach so much about God as a forgiving God is because they have sin in their life. You know, in my experience, it's the other way around. The preachers who are always nailing and condemning other people, it's because they're deflecting the guilt in their own heart. They, they want that. They, they, they don't feel they deserve the goodness of God. So they, they love the judgment of God because the guilt makes them feel that's what they deserve. Preachers who preach about mercy, <laughs> it 
Him who has been forgiven much, loves much, has been forgiven much, but on past tense. Have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more. I like these guys. You tell me to shut up, I'm going to cry out for Jesus more. <laughs> Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, brothers and sisters, every one of us at some point in our life is going to be in a situation where we just need mercy. And that's what healing flows from. Healing flows from the mercy of God. We can never come to God and say, I deserve it. Some of you, you just need to get a hold of it. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me, son of David. And watch the mercy flow. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? There's a big wow. This is an open request. What do you want? What do you want? Now notice, we have an open request up here. And we have an open request down here. There's nothing too hard for him, but he always asks, what do you want? Now, up here, that was not a good ask, okay? Oops, I didn't put that on for you. Up here, that was not a good ask. Because it was an ask without understanding. Down here, this is a good ask. <laughs> they said, Jesus, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Now notice what they did. They could have asked for money. They could have asked for a house. They could have asked for somebody to help them. But they asked for the root of the problem. The root of the problem. The cause and not the symptoms. Okay? The root. The cause. Not the symptoms. Now that's a way to pray. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight. And I like that last thing. And they followed him. When Jesus gives you a miracle, you follow him. Now, beloved, that, that is a beautiful story. And I want to ask you this morning. Let me pull that up so you can see it all. I want to ask you this morning. Do you need healing? Do you need healing? And right now, just lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, as your sons and as your daughters cry out for mercy, let healing flow into their bodies right now. Lord, let miracles of healing flow. Let there be an immediately. Let there be a suddenly. Let there be a miracle in those bodies right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Oy, but we're not done yet. We still got a few more minutes. Proverbs chapter six, just a little bit of wisdom. Now, this is wisdom in finances, all right? So this is all about finances. My son, he's talking to his boy, my son. If you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have given a pledge for a stranger, now, notice, this is basically co-signing, guaranteeing someone else. Someone doesn't have money. You don't have the cash to loan them either. And so you say, I'll guarantee this for you. I'll co-sign this for you. 
and you put your name and your future to guarantee someone else's debt. He says, if you're snared in the words of your mouth and caught in the words of your own mouth, now notice, co-signing and guaranteeing for somebody else is a trap. Now, why is it a trap? Because there's no pressure on them to pay the debt. The pressure is all on you. When they look at all of their debts to be paid, you know how their brain works? All right, I have to pay this, 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 and this, but you know, these people will have to cover that for a little bit and then I'll pay them back later. See, they, they spend your money. They don't think about you. That's how people's brains work. He said, then do this, my son, and save yourself. Oh, God, deliver me. No, you do this to save yourself. If you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So Solomon, a rich man, teaches his son, do not co-sign or guarantee someone else's loan. I say, well, pastor, have you ever done that? Many times. A few times it works out. Most of the time in my life, I got hurt because I found out people are going to cover their own butt. I mean, that's just, that's just what people do and you just don't get mad about it. That's why he said, go save yourself. So pastor, what do you do when people want to help and you want to help somebody? You help people within your means. Now listen, listen to me carefully on this. When you start guaranteeing other people's loans, basically you put a big landmine in your future and you can have all the plans laid out. You can have all your finances laid out. Or maybe if you're like me, you'll have to even sell vehicles. I've had to sell vehicles before. On two occasions, I've had to sell my vehicle to pay off a debt that I guaranteed for somebody else because I was trying to help them. Now, do I feel bitter about it? No, that's just life. I made a, a wrong decision. So what is a better decision to make? If you don't have the money to help somebody who needs to borrow money, then don't co-sign their loan. If you want to do something, give them something according to your means. Let me say that again. Give them something according to your means. If they come to you and they want you to, they want to borrow a hundred thousand from you, and you don't have a hundred thousand, don't co-sign a loan for a hundred thousand. You don't have the money to pay that back. If you did, you could loan it to them already. What you should do is just say, "Listen, you know, I can give you fifty thousand. I'll just, I'll just help you out here. But this is what I can do right now, and just do what you can do and be happy with it." See. You can't solve everybody's problems. You're not everybody's provider. God is. Now, will people get mad at you? Yes. But if you loan people money, oftentimes they never pay it back. And then they're nahia, they're embarrassed and everything. And they don't know what to do. And you lose a good relationship. So give them what you can afford to give them and move on. All right. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock for Romans.